this morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians in chapter number 2. Kimberly sang that song, Except for Grace, and today we're going to preach a message, All of Grace. You know, grace is a word that we hear often. And when you hear the word grace, you probably have an idea of what that means. You may even know that grace is unmerited favor and that salvation is by grace. And even though that is true, do we understand the impact of salvation being by grace alone? So today I want to refresh our thoughts on grace. I want, I want us to keep in mind that salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is by grace because salvation is both initiated by God and sustained by God. Salvation is by grace in its inception and in its completion. Salvation is all of grace. And if you know me, you know that Ephesians 2.4 is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. But let's begin reading with verse number 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, what a blessed truth this is today. Grace that brings salvation to us. And God, we understand today that the reason it's of grace is because we need grace. All of us need grace. We need grace because we're sinners. So I just pray today, God, that as we study your grace and we see that salvation is all of grace, pray, God, that you will help us to understand that salvation is by grace alone and that you would encourage our hearts as we think about the grace that God has given us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm reading a book now called The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, and Tim Keller wrote the foreword to that book, and he makes this statement. When we behold the glory of Christ in the gospel... It reorders the love of our hearts, so we delight in Him supremely. And the other things that have ruled our lives lose their enslaving power over us. And so as we understand the grace of God and we see the, the love that God had for us in bringing us salvation, it will cause us to love God more completely. 
And we'll see the things of the world for what they are. And they'll lose their value. And we will begin to love the Lord more fully. So that's my hope in today's sermon. To refresh our hearts with the glory of the gospel of grace. And thereby reordering our hearts to love God more completely. So the first thing we see here is that there is a need for grace. And the need for grace, it tells us in verse number 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, we'll not make mention of that. Well, the word quickened there means made alive. And so the reason that we uh, were dead, or the reason that grace is needed, and the reason we needed to be made alive is because we were all dead in trespasses and sins. And we know the teaching of the Scripture is that we are all born dead. We're born alive physically, but we're born dead spiritually. We're born with a depraved nature. And the depraved nature means this. The the depraved nature means that our entire nature is defiled in all faculties and parts of the body and soul. That's from the 1689 London Confession of Faith. R.C. Sproul states this, Yet in light of the above, we should realize that we are not sinners merely because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. And so we understand that we come into this world as sinners. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, we understand that being dead in trespasses and sins does not mean that we are incapable of doing any good manwardly but it means that our whole nature is depraved. It does not mean that we will sin to the fullest extent possible or that we will commit horrible sins. It does mean, though, that our entire nature, our entire being is corrupted by sin. Our body, soul, and spirit, the whole trichotomy of man is depraved and it is full of sin. And because of that, we understand we're dead in trespasses and and sins. We're separated from God. And because we are dead in trespasses and sins, we are incapable of having eternal life. The sentence of death is passed upon it. We are separated from God, which is what death is. The The definition of death is separation. And so we need grace because we understand our condition when we come into the world as dead in trespasses and sins. And not only that, verse 2 tells us that not only are we dead, but we walk a dead course of life. Where in times past it says in verse number 2, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so... All of us that are born into this world, it is by nature that we follow the course of this world. Our natural inclination is to desire the lust of the flesh, to fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's our nature. But as believers, that should be changing in us. You know, just because we're saved doesn't mean we're perfect. We're going to have some struggles along the way, and it's... And all of us are that way. And we want to understand that. But, but we ought to be able to see a change taking place in us. 
we ought to see where we're not, we're not filling the lust of the flesh like we used to. The desires in the flesh and the mind are no longer dominating our lives like they used to dominate. We can see ourselves being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We ought to be able to see that taking place in our lives. And, and it's all because of grace. It's grace that allows that to happen. It's the grace of God that allows Him uh, to uh, progressively sanctify us, to set us apart slowly but surely. As the old saying goes, Rome wasn't built in a day. And just as we know, the children of Israel didn't go out of Egypt one day and arrive in Canaan the next day. It took God 40 years to get, it took Him one day to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took Him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. There was a process that Israel had to go through to be separated unto God. And it's the same thing is true for us. We all go through that process, and that process is called sanctification. But we all ought to be able to look at our lives if we're born again and look at the ways our walk is changing. You see, before we were saved, we walked according to the course of this world. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. But now, our lives are, we're walking according to something different. We're walking according to the Word of God. We're walking according to the Holy Spirit's leadership. And we ought to see this process taking place in our life. And, and you ought to be able to tell some ways in your life that your life is changing. That the desires of your flesh are changing. The thoughts in your mind are changing. And, that, and that's what we do. And, and, and here's the thing. We're thankful for grace because God doesn't... I mean, He holds us to the standard of holiness, but He understands it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time for us to progressively be transformed into the image of God. And, and by the way, here's what we know. None of us are going to arrive at the perfect picture of sanctification as long as we have this body of flesh. You see, that's why we look forward to the glorified body. You, we're all going to struggle with sin as long as we're in this flesh. We're all going to struggle with divided loyalties. We're all going to struggle with uh, not being all that we should be for Christ. And that's why we're glad that salvation is all of grace. It's not of my works. It's, it's the grace of God that brings salvation to me. And it's the grace of God that continues to lead me in this life. And so we can be thankful for grace. But we all know, as it says, that we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, I know that none of us like to think about being under the power of Satan. But that's where we all were. And that's where some of you are. Some of you are still in bondage to Satan. You've not surrendered your life to Christ. You've not repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Him. And so all of us by nature, following the prince and the power of the air was our default mode. That's how we came into the world. We came into the world subject to the temptations of Satan. And you say, well, well how do you know that, Mark? Well, those of us who have kids... We know what do we have to train them in. Do we have to train them to do right? Or do we have to train them to do wrong? No, their natural thing is rebellion. Their natural thing is to want their way, right? To want their own way. And so we have to teach them how to do what is right. That's because every person is born and they have a depraved nature. And it's just natural for 
young for kids, mine, 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 mine. Uh, or, you know, it's amazing how young people can learn how to manipulate others to get their way, you know, and, and I mean, they learn it at a very young age. It's because the default mode is to follow the prince and the power of the air. And why does that happen? 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, has blinded the eyes of those who believe not. This is why when you pray for someone that's lost, one of your prayers should be that God would open their eyes that they can see. The reason they continue on in their unbelief is because Satan has blinded their eyes. He has closed their ears that they cannot hear. They're under his power. They're under his dominion. And he has enslaved them. And if we desire for them to be born again, we should pray that God would open their eyes and open their ears so that they would be able to believe the truth. You see, it, it tells us there in verse number 2 that we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That spirit of disobedience that was in all of us is the same spirit which Adam displayed in the garden. When Adam chose to follow his wife in any of the fruit instead of being obedient to God, that spirit is the spirit that is now in all of us. It's the spirit of disobedience that called, caused Lucifer to be cast from heaven. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the throne of God. And because of that, he was cast from heaven. And it is the spirit which continues to guide those that are lost. Maybe it's guiding some of you. That spirit of disobedience. The spirit that I want to do what I want to do. And you won't submit to God. It is the choosing of not to be obedient. You know what the Bible says about being obedient. But you choose not to be obedient. That's the spirit of disobedience. When you choose to do what you want to do and you don't follow God's way, that's the spirit of disobedience. And that dominated in all of our lives. And it still is present in our lives to one degree or another. But again, hopefully we understand the grace of God is transforming us into being more obedient. But we understand the condition. And as we see this and we look at the depths of depravity and we look at our own lives and, and we're honest with ourselves and we can look back in our lives and see, I understand when I was uh, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and, and I was a child of disobedience. And as we look back on our lives and see the sin in which we lived in the past, more and more we're thankful that salvation is by grace. That God saved me not because I deserved it, but because He chose to do so. And God is sustaining me not because I deserve it, because it's His will. And God is going to lead me in paths of righteousness according to His grace. See, we can all be thankful for the grace of God that's in our lives every day. And as we look back at who we are, and maybe even as we look at our own lives today, and we see those places where we choose to be disobedient, we can be thankful.
that salvation is by grace. You see, verse number 3 tells us, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, every life follows this path. We all had our conversation in times past. Everyone is in this church today. Everyone that is born again. The testimony of your life was that in times past, you walked according to the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh dominated in your life. There's none of us that were born perfect and righteous. All of us needed grace. And there's none of us that walk perfectly today. All of us need grace. But we understand we were born this way. Psalm 58.3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as they be born, speaking lies. And so we, the child coming out of the womb is a liar. The Bible tells us. It's our nature. We made decisions according to the lust of the flesh. And so knowing that's the case, that in the past, the lust of the flesh dominated our decisions. It does cause us to pause and think. If we are born again, what determines our decisions today? How do we make our decisions today? What guides our decisions? Do our wants and our desires guide our decisions? Does the lust of the flesh, the things that the flesh lusts after, does that, uh, does that uh, determine our decisions? Or does faithfulness to God and His Word determine the decisions that we make? The way that we use our lives every day, the way that we the, think about the future, what's determining, determining everything about it? Is it what we want, what the flesh wants, or is it obedience to God? See, we all, we all know that the lust of the flesh was our way of life. That's why we're thankful for grace. But hopefully it's no longer that way. Our desire was to, be, uh, to fulfill the lust of the flesh, and it tells us in the desires of the flesh and of our mind. So that tells us that thoughts can be sinful. So we have to think about the thoughts that we think. That, that's why Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and everything that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience to Christ. Because thoughts can be sinful, we need to think about our thoughts. We need to challenge our thoughts and, and think about how we think. So, so what would it look like if every thought of yours was obedient to Christ? That you determined today that I'm going to take captive every thought and I'm going to bring every thought that I have to obedience to Christ. What would that look like in your life? What would it look like when you think about your time? What would it think about 
talk about as you think about the words you say? What would it be as you thought about the, the programs that you watched on TV? What would it think about as you, just everything that, just everything that you can think about, what would it look like if you determined that I need to take every thought obedient to Christ? Do you take every thought captive to obedience to Christ? And I know the answer to that question is no. None of us take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. And that's why we're glad to say that salvation is all of grace. Because none of us are perfect. None of us have it all figured out. That's why we're thankful for grace. But again, you ought to see how that you're taking more of your thoughts captive to obedience to Christ. That you can see yourself progressing. That you're not like you used to be. That you're not, you don't think like you used to think. You have different thoughts today than you had uh, before you were born again. And you can see yourself changing in this area. But we understand what God desires for us is to have every thought obedient to Him. It goes on and tells us as as Paul is laying out this case for why we need grace, it tells us, and we're by nature the children of wrath even as others. Because we had the depraved nature, we were under the sentence of death. And death is passed upon all men. But you know, the sentence of death being passed upon all men is a truth which is lost to the modern mind. The modern mind thinks that, well... Everybody's going to go to heaven. You're alive. You're going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter where you repent of your sin. It, everybody's going to heaven. They've got it wrong. Death has passed upon all men. All men, every man born into the world is dead and they're going to die. And except grace comes into their life and changes their life and they're born again, they're going to die and go to hell. That's just the way it is. It's only those who are born again that have the promise of eternal life. So we want to understand our nature is that we are the children of wrath. And it is interesting to understand the children of wrath. And, and again, the, the modern mind doesn't like to think about the wrath of God resting upon all men. But Paul says in Romans, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Wrath, the violent passion or punishment of God. One day, God is going to pour out His wrath, His judgment upon sin. And every sin is going to receive a just recompense of a reward. Romans 9, 22. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? There are people who are going to experience the wrath of God. Everyone who is not born again is going to experience the wrath of God. So Paul has laid out this case that all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins, that all of us walked according to the course of this world, that all of us fulfilled the desires of the flesh and the, and the mind and were by nature the children of wrath. That's who we were. And then he says, verse 4, my two favorite words in the Bible. 
There we are, dead in trespasses and sins. There we are, under the sentence of death. There we are, vessels fitted for destruction, ready to experience the wrath of God. That's who we all were. But God. But God. God intervened. God who is great, rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ Jesus. By grace you are saved. See, God enters the scene. God enters our life. And we understand that salvation begins with God. Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah says. Salvation is the work of God. Salvation is not the work of men. Salvation is not your work. Salvation is of the Lord. It's God's work from the beginning to the end, from its inception to the completion. It's all the work of God. And as you read and as you study, you begin to see that salvation was determined by God before the world began. Before He spoke this world into existence, your salvation was determined by God. And he knew that one day he was going to bring you to the point that he would reveal to you your sins. And you could see your dead condition. And you would see that you needed something outside of yourself. And you could cry out to mercy. And you could seek Jesus Christ and forgiveness so you could repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That happens because God. Notice it doesn't say, but you know, after a period of time you decided that you was going to turn away from your sin and turn towards God. That's not what it says. It says, even while you were still dead, God came to you and brought you to Himself. You see, God opens the eyes of the blind. He unstops the ears of the deaf. He softens the heart of that rebellious one and allows them to see their need for Jesus. And He draws them to himself, even while they were dead in trespasses and sins. The greatest example of that is Saul of Tarshish, Paul the Apostle. Was Paul seeking the Lord when the Lord saved him? No. Paul was seeking to destroy followers of Jesus Christ. But God interrupted the life of Saul on, his, on the road to Damascus. And God came to Saul and, and, and drew him unto himself. You see, all of us today are thankful, or we should be thankful, that salvation is all of grace, that God intervened in our lives. And while we were dead, He quickened us and made us alive. When we could do nothing Godwardly, He gave us a new heart and a new life, that it gave us the ability to repent and to believe. He drew us unto Himself. We should be thankful that salvation is all of grace, that we have been made alive. which enables us to repent and believe. If the heart is not quickened, it would never turn to Christ. But those of you today who are born again, you can be thankful that while you were dead in sins, but God quickened you. God made you alive. 
he had mercy on your soul and drew you unto himself. But God. You see, if God was removed from the conversation, the story would end. How would the story end if God was removed from the situation? Well, it would end with verse number 3. All of us being the children of wrath. If God would not have intervened, every man born into the world would have died separated from Him. See, Adam and Eve, every, every child that they had, they were dead in trespasses and sins. And every one of them would die separated from God and they would spend eternity in hell. And that's what all of us deserved. And if God would not have intervened, that would have been all of our future. All of us, because of sin in our life, are separated from God. But God, God intervened. The story doesn't end at Ephesians 2, 3. The story goes on because God chooses to intervene and redeem His people and draw them unto Himself and save them by His glorious grace. But we also see that God's choosing to intervene is because of His mercy there in verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. That word mercy means that God doesn't give you what you deserve. And so every one of us here today can look at our lives and we can look at our past and if we're honest with ourselves do we deserve eternal life no every one of us has sinned against God every one of us has broken the law of God every one of us has pointed our finger in the face of God and said you can't tell me what I have to do every one of us has but God who is rich in mercy. We can be thankful today that God did not give us what we deserved. That's what mercy is. God did not give us what we deserved because if God gave us what we deserved, here's what would happen since the Bible says you come forth out of the womb speaking lies, we're born sinners. As soon as we're born, we would die because that's exactly what we deserve. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, quickened us together. We can be thankful for the mercy of God. We can be thankful for the grace of God. And that it is out of the love of God that He gives us that mercy and grace. Think about the love of God and how great the love of God must be for you if He chose to redeem you from your sin. If He chose to be merciful to you and to give you grace and to call you out of your dead condition and to quicken you and make you alive and give you eternal life, as the song says, how great the Father's love for us. It's vast beyond all measure. It should be obvious to us the love that God has for us if He has been merciful to you, just understand the great love wherewith He loved us. See, we understand as we look at this passage of Scripture that grace comes to us while we were still dead. We understand that grace quickens us and makes us alive. But then we also see that grace accomplishes something. 
goes on to tell us what grace is going to accomplish. The first thing that grace accomplishes is in verse number 5 where it says, By grace you are saved. By grace you're rescued. Think about that. God rescues you from your sin. God rescues you from your nature. God rescues you from death. He's rescued you. And grace is going to begin your salvation and grace is going to complete salvation. You see, there's a lot of people that think that grace just makes salvation possible. No, grace does not just make salvation possible. Grace accomplishes salvation. It rescues you from death, from the curse of this world. It rescues you from the prince of the power of the air. You see, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were taken captive by Satan at his will. But now because of grace, you have been rescued and you're no longer bound to Satan. Sin no longer has any dominion over you. You've been rescued from sin. Sin no longer has to dominate in your life because you've been rescued from sin. And not only does it uh, accomplish salvation and not only does it rescue uh, us, but notice it sustains us and gives us hope. Notice verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, because salvation is by grace, I know I have a future in the ages to come. Because if we're all honest with ourselves, if our hope for eternal life depended on us, on our ability to live perfectly without sin, how many of us could accomplish that? None of us. How many of us could keep ourselves saved, keep ourselves uh, from sinning? How many of us could do that? None of us. There's not one of us that could keep ourselves from committing another sin. So we're going to be thankful for the grace of God that sustains us. And it gives us hope. Notice, we're raised up together with Christ. Made to set in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what is grace accomplishing in our lives? It's, it's accomplishing that we, we recognize that we're raised up with Christ. We recognize that we're promised to sit in heavenly places. And in the ages to come, we don't fully grasp this next thing. But it says that in the ages to come, in His kindness, he, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, we're going to be able to recognize the extent of the grace of God. We'll be able to look at our lives and we'll be able to see how God carried us through low moments in our lives. We can see how God, even though we went through a time that we were living in sin, that God reached out to us and drew us back to Himself like, he, like the prodigal son. We're going to see the grace of God working in our lives. When we were so full of ourselves that we thought we had it all figured out and that we didn't need God and we were full of pride, we're going to see how God was gracious to us and He didn't, he didn't just 
uh, destroy us, but He was merciful to us and allowed us to, to uh, continue to walk with Him, we're going to be able to see the riches of His grace. So we see the things that grace accomplishes. It, it accomplishes salvation. It rescues us and it sustains us and gives us hope. Listen, if any of us have hope today, it's because of the grace of God. That God chooses not to work, deal with us in mercy. That God chooses to deal with us in grace. And so finally we see that grace saves through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of, not, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here's what all of us can be thankful for. The salvation is not of ourselves. The salvation is not of our works. You see, if salvation was by works, it would not be considered grace. It would be considered works. It would be that God owes you something if it depended on your works. God would be indebted to you if your salvation depended upon what you do and how you keep yourself and how you walk. Now, salvation is all of God, not of any of your works. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do, no matter how great your work is, you can never make yourself deserving of salvation. And you can never keep your salvation because somewhere along the line, your works are going to fail. So salvation is not of works. And that's why we understand that we're not kept by our works. We're kept by the grace of God. Salvation is by grace alone. It's not grace plus our works. In its beginning... And it's not grace plus our works in its completion. It's grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. It's all of grace. And none of me. The only thing that I have to contribute to my, my salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. The only work that I can contribute is none. It's all of grace not of works lest any man should boast Romans 3:27 says where is boasting then it is excluded by what law of works nay but the law of faith you have nothing to boast in you can't say look at all these works I've done that are keeping me saved which also means there's no works that you can do that can cause you to lose your salvation. It doesn't matter where you're at on this spectrum of moving from death to life. You can't do anything to keep yourself on the path, and you can't do anything to remove yourself from the path. If you're on the path, you're on the path because God put you on the path, because God has redeemed you, because God has given you life. And since He has given you life, He's going to sustain you. So it doesn't matter how far you might have fallen off of the path. He's there to lift you up. The just live by faith. And it says, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the Father with exceeding great joy. 
just know this, that no matter how far you've fallen, grace is there to pick you up. It's not of our works. We can't keep our salvation. We can't lose our salvation. Salvation is all of the Lord. So what we can learn how to do, though, is walk in a place where we enjoy the blessings of God. If we're living in sin, we're not going to enjoy the presence of God. We're, not, we're going to suffer maybe some consequences for our sin. And so we want to walk in a way that is pleasing to Him so we can enjoy His fellowship, so we can enjoy His blessing. But the fact of the matter is, salvation is all of grace. None of our works. None of us have anything to boast of. If you can look back at your life and say, well, I've been saved for 30 years. Good. God did it. You say, oh, I've been saved for three minutes. Good. God did it. If you come to the end of your life and you say, I'm saved by the grace of God, be thankful for the grace of God because it's God who works in you, both the will and the do of His good pleasure. And He who has begun a good work in you will complete it under the day of Jesus Christ. You're saved because God saved you. So think about the value of those words. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. So what is the glory of grace? The glory of grace is that God brought salvation to us when we were dead and undeserving. And so why should our hearts be reordered to love God? Because grace came, even when we were dead in sins. How will we reorder the love in our hearts? And how will that be displayed? For some, it will be displayed by repentance. For others, it would be displayed by a greater commitment to following God, seeking Him first and putting off of the flesh and putting away the things of the world. But as you understand the love that God has for you and that He brought you grace, you'll begin to understand, I need to love Him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. I need to be faithful to Him in church. I need to be faithful to Him with my words. I need to be faithful to Him with my thoughts because it's all of grace. Our hearts should be turned to love Him. We all struggle None of us are as faithful as we should be, as we should be. But seeing these truths again, it should stir our hearts to love Him more and to follow Him more closely. Because salvation is all of grace. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we're thankful for the gift of grace and the gift of eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray your blessings upon those that hear the message today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give me just a second.